Uh, that being said, uh, these were glasses I picked up at Walmart, and they looked amazing, and I felt like I could see way better with them. And Heather was like, wow, these actually do look okay. And I walked around Walmart for a while, and I was reading labels and excited about my new glasses. And then Heather read the label and realized they're not even prescription. So, you know, some of the things that we gather in life to help us see clearly in life, um, to help us navigate the gaps in our life, sometimes they're faux glasses. Sometimes they're just, we put them on and they make us feel better, but they actually didn't help us. And so the goal for this immeasurably, immeasurably more series is that we understand that God really does have more, but it's not just fluff. It's not comfort food. It's not what makes us feel better, but it's something deeper. And Paul was getting at that when he read, when he wrote Ephesians. Um, and so Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20 is our staple verse. I want to read it again. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Let's just pause for a minute and just like whatever it is that you are asking God for, whether it's a breakthrough in an area or just an increase in something or an opportunity or healing, just let's take this in for a minute that he's able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Now, it doesn't always come when we want it to come and it doesn't always look like we want it to look. But the point is, it's immeasurably more. It's not like, oh man, sorry, you know, God's like, I just, I couldn't make that happen. You know, I know you wanted this and I gave you this. And the reason for the gap is I just couldn't make it happen. I had too many dynamics going on and I just, I'm sorry, son, daughter, I couldn't do it. Now, God is truly in the business of immeasurably more when we give him our plans and say, God, this is what I want, but, but my hands are truly open and I want to dive into the more that you have for me. All we ask are adding according to his power that is at work within us. So what we learn is not only is this not fluff with glasses that don't work, but it's also the more is his power, his finished work, right? So it's not, okay, if I want more, then I got to do better. It's his power, his work. And that's pretty good news, right, Lamont? That's good news because it's his work and not ours. And so if you're sitting here saying, man, there are some candidates here for more because of their behavior and their spirituality, and I'm so glad for them. I just don't fit that category. So maybe in a month or six months or a year, if I get my act together, I could sort of qualify for the more. And I just need to tell you that, like, you have nothing to do with it. It's his power. His goodness. Our role is say, okay, God, I surrender to my horrible plan, my horrible, my tendency to control and go my own way. God, I really am tapping into your plan and the things that you have. And so surrender is our posture, right? Trusting in a God that has more and it's something that he already finished for us, provided for us, and now we're stepping into it. Good news. We can kind of stop right there, but I'm going to keep going. This is about God opening up our eyes, the eyes of our heart to see something new. It's about a new lens. And so I brought these glasses because these are my readers and my eyes are going bad. And truly, honestly, I don't know if it's just because I'm in this series. Like, you know, when you're like, you're looking for a car to buy and you've picked the one that you want, all of a sudden you see it everywhere. I feel like that's happening to me a little bit. I'm talking about seeing, I'm studying, seeing, and I feel like I can't see as good all of a sudden. Yeah, ever happened to you? 
So I'm going to be putting these on because I can really see my notes and they're amazing. But God wants to give you a new lens. And it's interesting. Um, so I've been watching the British Open because I like golf um, a little bit. And there's, you know, it's like the 150 year uh, anniversary of the where golf originated. I know you guys are like, I don't care. But I do. Um, 150 years of where golf originated. And so they're back there this weekend having this tournament. And I heard a commentary talking about um, a thing that I didn't know was a thing in professional sports. And it's eye coaching. It's a thing. Because apparently what you see determines your reactions. And so your perception of things, particularly in a sport like golf where the margins are very small, how you see things, how you perceive things massively affects your reaction to things. And so I just thought today, like, we need an eye coach. Not, because the way you're seeing things, it's distorted. Not in all areas. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person. It just means that there are areas in your life. And I think that that's where, that's kind of where we landed last week. And I hope we can pick it up again today as being honest with ourselves to say that there are some gaps in my vision. Paul wouldn't have prayed it so passionately, open the eyes of their heart, if there wasn't areas in our hearts that are blind. And we talked about the two areas that we see experience blindness. One is that we're not seeing um, the whole picture. And that's why we need glasses. It's, it's just a little fuzzy and I can see better when God gives me a better picture. But the other one that we've talked about is that where there's shadows, it's a distorted view and so God's given you the lens by his word. He's given you the truth, right? Maybe even a friend of yours is like speaking into your life and telling you things. And you're like intellectually going, that makes sense because the Bible says it. I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. He has an incredible purpose for me that he who began a good work is faithful. And so there's these pieces where God's going like, I want to give you a new lens. But there's shadows and things that distort your view and they're called strongholds. They're lies that lie under the surface. And so even with a new lens, they distort your vision. And you're like, I want to believe that, but I don't. And I don't even know why I don't. And the Bible says that we have the power to uproot those things, those distorted things, so that we can see clearly. So that when we read the Bible and God tells us who we are, we're like, oh, wow, that actually, that actually works. That makes sense. I can, I can dig into that because I don't have these underpins of things that are pulling me down. Anybody with me? I know that that affects me. And so we need an eye coach. We need, we need the Holy Spirit. And I love the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit's gentle and he leads us. Um, I love coaching. I coached for nine years uh, in um, indoor soccer. And um, I wasn't the best coach, although we did win this, the uh, championship one year. It was amazing. I'm super competitive and I hate losing. Um, unfortunately, the kids at that, the age I was coaching, they don't care as much. And so I had to like work it out. You know what I'm saying? Because I think at some level I cared more than they did. But um, there was this coach that um, always coached the same league. And I don't know his name and I feel bad that I never got to know his name. But I do know that he's from Texas, graduated from uh, uh, Texas University, and really nice guy. All I remember is that he had red hair, super nice guy. Unfortunately, he earned the name Screamer Coach. 
And those of you who had kids on my team, when we played this coach, you know what I'm talking about. Because no joke, this guy would sit in the dugout and he would scream bloody murder at these like nine-year-old kids. <laughs> and I mean, you could tell like the parents on the other side were like, you're kind of being harsh with my child. And I mean, he would just go for it. Now he had a couple of his own kids on the team, but I mean, he was letting it rip. And I remember this one time, because I'm like pretty vocal too. I hope I'm not the screamer coach, but you never know if you're the screamer coach, right? Unless, right? Because like other people could think you're that and you don't know it. Am I the screamer coach? I don't think I am. So I remember this one game though, this guy was over here and he was going for it. He was just getting so worked up. You could tell like he was getting red in the face, so worked up. And all of a sudden like play stopped because the ball had gone out, but he didn't realize it had gone out. And so his players like slowed down and they weren't like going for it anymore. And so, he, and, and so at this point, everyone's sort of stopped and he's still screaming. So now everybody on the field's like looking at this coach and he's just like, why would you, right? Just like going for it. And, and I'm like standing there, like looking at him. All the parents are like, what are you? And then finally he realized like, oh shoot, dang it. And he like sat down on the dugout. He's like, dang it, I'm the screaming coach. We need an eye coach, but aren't you glad that the Holy Spirit, he leads us in a way that's so gentle and he never screams at you. It's like Siri, you put Siri on and you start going the right, the right way and it's like turn left and if you miss the turn, she doesn't yell at you. My, Haley, Haley turned mine into like an um, like Australian accent. So you keep going and then it just recalculates, make a U-turn and you pass it, right? And she's not like, you're an idiot. You missed the turn twice. Come on, get, get on the program. She's just like, there's another turn up there. Go ahead and make a U-turn, you idiot, you moron, right? And I, you know, the Holy Spirit is so awesome because how many, how many have missed a turn one time or another, right? Not just missed a turn. Sometimes we run into the curb. God forbid we run into the person next to us and the Holy Spirit's just like, there's another turn up there. There's a U-turn opportunity up there. And yeah, we may have to get your car to the shop a little bit because, you know, you played bumper cars and you may have to pay for the car next to you that you hit, but there's another turn up there. And you can do it. You can make it to that turn. You can do the U-turn. And so this is, what, this is what our eye coach or the Holy Spirit's opening up our eyes to. And so Paul says, we need wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. And this is the first thing. And I told you I was going to outline three things. So this is the first thing that he says that we need this, this eye-opening moment about the hope of his calling. And I put this, the anchor of hope has the power to change the narrative of your life. I hope I'm going to introduce something about hope that you hadn't seen before because I certainly have had an eye-opening moment about hope. Now, how hope can be kind of a key word and a tagline and a social media hashtag, but like Paul's praying something powerful here, that our eyes are open to the hope of his calling. Hope is the doorway to calling. Calling, and I love the fact that there's, you know, former journey people here, because what I wrote here is calling is not a destination. It's a journey. We spend so much of our time going like, oh, if I could just get there and God say, no, like actually your calling is the journey of who you're becoming and who you influence and affect along the way. 
who you're becoming and who you get to bring along in that journey. It's beautiful. And so every day, I'm in the middle of my calling. I'm not waiting for my calling. I'm not trying to reach for one day I can have it. God is doing something in me and through me, and he's doing the same thing for you. And so there's this calling. You are called to walk in and be a carrier of hope. Is there a greater calling? Is there a greater calling? I get to be a carrier of and walk in this hope. I get to pass it on to you. I get to say, come on, come on, let's, let's do this together. This incredible hope. And it's no wonder that, that the God of this world spends so much time stealing it from you. I mean, think about it. Discouragement, depression, oppression, fear, anxiety, hopelessness. Anybody know anybody that's dealing with any of those things? Right? Because it's so powerful and God has given it to us. And so there's an all-out assault on our world for hope. I mean, listen, anybody know somebody that has all the things going on in their life that you would want? They got the job and the kids and the whatever, the white picket fence and the two, you know, two and a half kids and a dog, right? The whole deal. Except hope. Makes no logical sense. Like, how do you not have abiding hope that's bubbling up over into your life? And yet, it's just, it's not there. It's elusive. Because the enemy hates it. And this is a big deal to me because I want Heart Church, and I know that you want this, and we have created this, and I pray, and, and, and Philip's going like this in the back because he's all about this. We want Heart Church to be a place of hope. We want, if people don't have hope, for whatever reason, even if it's just a bad week or if it's been a bad season, we want you to walk into this door, and you're going to get a fire hose of the goodness of God seen through hope. A fire hose. but not just a good feeling. It's not just like, I want you to feel better about your life. It's like a profound sense of destiny. Like you have destiny. God has incredible things for you. And if you haven't heard that lately, hear it today. You have destiny and purpose. God's not done. He's just getting started. The best days are ahead of us. Like this is hope. And this is what we want here, and this is the hope of his calling. It's so easy to be on the opposite side. Like, let's just list all the things that are, you know, horrible about life right now, right? I mean, if it's not personal to you because of your job and, you know, heaven forbid your marriage or something going on, right? If you don't have those things, well, then you can just flip on the news and you can list the other things that are horrible about life right now, right? That that, that takes no energy. It takes no intentionality. The Spirit of God doesn't have to be involved at all in that to give you the power to just be negative Nancy. If your name's Nancy, I'm so sorry that came up. I apologize deeply for that slogan. But, 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 but the Holy Spirit, he brings us into this level to say, there's a higher level for you to live, and it's not ignoring the realities. 
It's not just saying, well, I'm just going to be an overcomer and I'm going to totally ignore the painful things in life. No, God, the Holy Spirit leads us to experience and feel deeply the highs and lows of life, to feel those things and come out the other end to say, you know what? I may not see it today, but there's hope on the horizon. You may not see it today, but there's hope for you on the horizon. And there's no greater calling than to be a dispenser of that in life. And it's not a hope that disappoints. That's what the Bible says. It's not a fluffy hope that you get because we fired you up and we played loud music and we had the lights on and it was amazing and I told some cool jokes. Let's all be hopeful. It's not a hope that disappoints because the love of God is poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. It's this deep-rooted hope that's firmly planted in something way more than circumstances or performance. That's good news. Gosh, let's go. So I want to get to three things about hope. The first one is this. Hope is a posture of your heart. Since you've been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Remember I told you that, that anyone can live in the, well, just reality. Set your hearts on things above. There's a higher plane to live, and it has to do with this. It's not intellectually, because it's not going to add up. It's at a heart level. God is teaching us to be people that carry hope in our heart, because we guard our heart, because we don't allow it to become bitter. I find it interesting um, that hope is not a fruit of the Spirit. Now, you're familiar with Christianity, then, then, then the, the idea of fruit of the Spirit is, is, is a, a fundamental thing. The Spirit of God in us, if you get saved, you have the Spirit of God in you, and the Spirit produces fruit. A tree, right, doesn't have to strive. An orange tree, if it's healthy, if it's rooted, if it's planted, it's going to produce some things right? Orange tree is going to produce oranges. And so Christians, when we're rooted in God's word, when we're rooted in family, right? Like the tree planted by the rivers of water, like Psalm says, then we're going to produce some things. Now, these things are the fruit of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long suffering. I've missed a few, but there's a bunch in there. And, and these are amazing. I just find it strange that joy isn't one of them. Huh? Sorry. Hope is not one of them. Thank you, Mike. By the, by the way, Pastor Mike's preaching next week. I find it interesting that hope is not on the list of the fruit of the Spirit. And so I kind of did a deep dive in this, totally geeked out on it, because I think it's really profound about hope specifically. So there's a concept of justification and sanctification. Hold with me here. I know those are churchy words. But the concept is justification is something took place at the cross. And it's done. You are justified. And the concept of justification is that you have been. When you get saved, you have been justified. You are forgiven. You are free. You, are, um, you have been you know, delivered. These things have happened on the cross. It has been paid for in full. Now, on the flip side, sanctification is our being. You have been justified, done at the cross. Sanctification is 
it's happening in you. You ever heard the term becoming more like Christ? Anybody have any room to still become more like Christ? Anybody? Have a little more patience worked out in you, right? A little more long-suffering. All the spouses in the room are like, yeah, honey, you hear that? For me, patience is a big one. Like, I'm always working on my patience. I need to be more patient. And God is working in me and using my beautiful wife in the front row to help me become more patient because she is extremely patient and I am not. And so the fruit of the Spirit says, if I root myself in Him and I continue to become, then then God will provide opportunities for me to be patient. And I have opportunities then to become more like Jesus. I don't want to be, I want to be less like Shane and more like Jesus next year, tomorrow, next week, right? It's this pursuit. So in the context of hope, Hope falls in the justification bucket, not the sanctification bucket. And what I mean by that is hope isn't something that you're asking the Holy Spirit to develop in you like patience. Patience is a fruit of the Spirit. And patience is something that becomes, you become more like Jesus in that way. Hope is something that was established on the cross. It is an inheritance For the saints, it's yours. You don't have to sit around anymore and say, God, would you give me hope? God, would you develop in me? You know, I'm just tired of being negative. I would love to be more hopeful. Would you provide more opportunities for me to grow in that area? The Holy Spirit's like, listen, I'm going to give you a new lens to see something. And what I want you to see is that hope is at the centerpiece of the gospel. The thing that Jesus provided for you and I to walk in is the hope of his calling. It is something that should abide and bubble over. And if you don't have it, then tomorrow morning you get to claim it. It's not something that's like, oh, I hope I grow a little bit more in that. No, it's yours. Hope is yours. This abiding hope that God is good. He's for you. You're not done It is yours. That is extremely good news. This is kind of a game changer. So I wrote this. So inform your heart that you don't have to wait around for hope. Mercy. He has given us new birth into a living hope. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This is a guarantee and a promise, and it's like a gift that if you didn't already know you have, it's waiting for you when you get home and has a bow on it. He paid for it. You get it. Living hope. What I love about the picture of living hope is it's not stale. It's not like, yeah, I used to have hope, and I was hopeful about that thing, and then this job, and then my marriage, and my kids, and I remember those days when I had some hope. When like life was just like this big open opportunity. Yeah, I remember that. That's stale hope. That's lame hope. This is a living hope that's centered in the resurrection of Jesus. Oh, by the way, he rose from the dead. 
The, roll, the stone rolled away and what came out was hope. I've defeated hell, gra- hell, sin, and the grave, and I've given this to you. So now go live it. Second thing is this, hope anchors you from the undercurrent. Hope anchors you from the undercurrent. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. Do you know um, that in the ocean, the, um, it's not the big storms and the epic waves that pull you away. It's the undercurrent. I don't know if you've ever had like a scare in the ocean where you're out there, you're swimming, or maybe your kids were out there. I know I have had a scare with my kids where they're out there on a boogie board and life seems fine because they're not that deep and there's hardly any waves. And all of a sudden it's like they're out there and they're swimming and they're yelling like they can't get back because there's this undertow that, that drags you away. And in the same way in life, it's often not the big things that derail you. It's the things that go unnoticed. It's the undercurrent of life that's seeking to derail your hope. Remember I told you it's a posture of the heart. Hope is something that abides in your heart in every season. It doesn't matter what kind of day it is. It doesn't matter who you're hanging out with. It doesn't matter what your job looks like today or your bank account. There is an abiding hope in your heart that abides, that, it, that stays there, that resides. And there's an undertow that's seeking to steal that from you. And I know you know what I'm talking about. It happens to all of us. It's so easy to allow life to weigh us down until one day your heart doesn't float anymore. And it happens slowly, doesn't it? You're doing good. And the next day, yeah, some circumstances and some stuff. And sometimes it's just emotions. And then the next day, and if you're not careful, in a month, two months, six months, all of a sudden you're like shipwrecked on an island. How did I get here? Well, I'll tell you how you got there. First of all, it wasn't on the surface. It was an undertow. And it's the undertow of this world that seeks to shipwreck you on an island. The enemy of this world doesn't want you to stand in an abiding hope that can stand against any, any wave. It wants you to be shipwrecked. It's called heart drift. I wrote this. This is often seen in how we deal with our insecurities. Oh, this is a tough one. We all have insecurities, everybody. I was talking to a friend of mine last week and I was exposing some of my insecurities. Yes, pastors have insecurities. And, and how do you deal with your insecurities? Because they are an undercurrent that will tug your heart away. And the, the other undertow is disappointments. How do you deal with disappointments? How do you deal with people that disappoint you? It's very difficult to have hope and bitterness abide in the same heart. You ever tried? Super hard. (laughs) We stop believing the best in people, don't we? We get just a little bit jaded, just a little bit skeptical, and we're just a little bit guarded. 
And all of a sudden, it's like, man, I'm shipwrecked on an island again. How did I get here? Well, I was insecure. And then people disappointed me. And then I just got a little guarded and bitter. And all of a sudden, like, I don't know. Like, I don't have this huge hope for my life and for other people and for what God's doing. Like, I find myself just surviving. And what Paul is saying is, I want to open up your eyes to a new way. The hope of his calling. You know what fuels hope? The cross. You forgave me so I can extend forgiveness. No, I'm not going to live another day not extending forgiveness. Man, I'll tell you what, like, listen, we are all there. We are all dealing with it. People hurt. They just do. I used to say this, hurt people hurt people. We all deal with it. But Jesus forgave me so I can extend that. It doesn't mean I have to be their best friend, but I am not going to allow unforgiveness and bitterness to attach to my heart. I'm going to extend forgiveness. He became the victim for me so I don't have to live a day in my life the victim. That's what happened on the cross. Jesus was the victim. He was completely uh, 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 dismantled and he was innocent. He was the victim. So I don't have to be. It doesn't matter what happens in life. I am not the victim because my heart's going to stay hope-filled. A living hope. I wrote this. He rose from the dead so you can redeem any circumstance. So I can have hope that even in the darkest times, God, you can redeem this. You can redeem this. I don't care how difficult it is. He can redeem it. Hope, the cross is fueled for hope. I'm going to end with this. Hope opens the door for the gospel. Hope opens the door for the gospel. Romans chapter five, verse five. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts by the Holy Spirit. I love the gospel. And if the gospel to you is like, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And so anybody here want to raise their hand? And then it's kind of a one-time deal. And like, we kind of get past that. Like, I always felt like the gospel was something that you get past. It's elementary. It's just like, come on, let's go deeper. Let's, let, let's hear about the deep things of God. Because we're just, we're past the cross. You know, like we get it. And I'll tell you what, Paul says, may the eyes of our hearts be opened to a new way. And I'm telling you what, the gospel is it. It is so awesome because the gospel is relevant every day of your life and it's beaming with hope. He can redeem any circumstance. He has forgiveness for all time. He has victory for us that has been accomplished on the cross. And so we can walk in an elevated place. Jesus, you're good. You're moving in my life. I love the gospel. I wrote this. The gospel void of hope is empty and powerless to redeem. And I've heard some people's stories and their story about Christianity and the gospel has more to do with their obedience to the law 
and their faithfulness than it has to do with the hope of the gospel. And I'm not interested. I'm telling you what, our anchor in the gospel is hope. That's what we dish out. That's what you dish out. I'm telling you what, at work one day, you're going to be sitting there and you're going to be like, this is an opportunity for me to give hope. I was reintroduced on Sunday to hope, what it really is. And on Monday morning, you're going to have an opportunity. Because guaranteed that you're sitting next to somebody or you're Zooming with somebody and they don't have living hope. Their life's falling apart. And you're going to be like, let me... Let me tell you about some hope that I found. Always be ready to give the hope for what you found. So good. When you and I carry hope, then we're a walking billboard for the saving, redeeming power of the cross. I want to end with this story. Uh, a buddy of mine, his name was Jeff. I can tell this story because he's still not a Christian. He's not going to be watching this. He doesn't live here anymore. Um, and I know he wouldn't mind me sharing this story, but Jeff was a um, golf pro at the vineyard. And for a season of time, when we planted our church, I worked at the vineyard part-time and Jeff was my boss. And Jeff is a great guy who's totally lost. Cusses like a drunken sailor, doesn't know Jesus whatsoever. Probably never been to church. Really sweet guy. And I just felt like the Lord told me, I need to be Jeff's friend. I need to, I need to show him that Christianity is not weird, that there's something there that's beyond religion. And about a year and a half later, after I didn't work there anymore, Jeff's world fell apart. He lost his job because of COVID. He fell down, broke his back. He found out that he had uh, a child that was eight years old that his previous um, wife hid from him after they got divorced. She was pregnant, just found out and found out that she had been lying to him the whole time. And um, he absolutely had no hope in his life. And I remember talking to him on the phone and I mean, the guy was like just on the edge of suicide. Absolutely no hope. And I just remember like so specifically God saying, walk with this man and show him hope. And listen, it doesn't make a lot of sense because he wasn't coming to church. He's not a Christian. He's not doing this stuff. He's lost. And God was saying, show him hope. Don't give him a track. Don't, don't tell him the four spiritual laws. Just, just show him hope. And so I had like a weekly call with him. This, this was over the course of months and months and months. Weekly call. And I mean, the guy's like cussing like a drunken sailor still to the point where like sometimes I have my phone on, on uh, speakerphone and like my kids are around and I'm like, oh, off speakerphone, okay. <laughs> and over those course of months, I just kept saying to him, Jeff, I know you don't believe in God, but he believes in you. And there is hope for you. 
and I'm going to contend for you. So over that course of time, he started calling me uh, his pastor. He's not Christian, still not a Christian, doesn't go to church, but he has a pastor. And little by little, God began to show up in his life. Got a job, got surgery, got accepted into the PGA of America. And six months ago, he calls me. We hadn't talked in a while. Six months, he calls me. And he's like, Shane, like he was like in tears. Shane, I, I can't tell you how I got through all this, what's going on in my life. But, but all I know is that my life has been transformed. Here are all the things I have going on in my life that don't make any sense now, but that are amazing. And I don't believe in God but all of that's in question right now because, because I can't justify the goodness that's taken place in my life. I can't add it up. It is so incredible. And I just want you to know that you're the only person that has been pointing me towards hope. It's changed my life. It's changed my life. And so he said, one day, I'm going to come to your church. Because if there is a God, I want to believe in your kind of God. Hope opens the door for the gospel. And if hope isn't included, I'm not interested. I'm not interested in religion. I'm not interested in going through the motions. Come on, let's serve people up hope. And they can be cussing like a drunken sailor. They can be wayward, right? God doesn't, he's not offended by all that. He's just saying, listen, come on. I've got some hope for you. Come on, come on. And he's got hope for you. And that will lead you out from the muck and the mire. Jeff is being led out from the muck and the mire. And eventually, eventually he'll be standing on the rock, Christ Jesus. I believe that with all of my heart. But it's the power of hope in the gospel. It's not a weak hope. It's not an empty hope. It's hope in the cross. Hope in Jesus, what he accomplished. This is not a fruit of the Spirit. So don't sit around and help and ask the Holy Spirit to do it in you. Claim it tomorrow, I'm going to wake up and say, God, I thank you that you're on the throne. I thank you that I walk with a boldness and a confidence in my life. I thank you that you're doing good things, that my cup is full and overflowing, and I have something to offer other people, and it's called hope. Father God, I thank you for today. I thank you for the hope of our calling, Jesus, that we are called to be carriers of this incredible gospel that saved us, that pulled us up from the muck and the mire and set our feet on a rock. And so now, Jesus, our heads are held high up into the mountains for whence come our help. Yeah, from the heavens. You are our help. And so we give you praise for that. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would open up our eyes like a good eye coach that we would see you differently through the lens of hope. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen.